You're listening to A Temple Wild, Episode 7, The Nymphs of Ancient Greece. Hello and welcome to A Temple Wild, where we rediscover the myths of the ancient Greeks through the plants and landscapes that shaped them. My name is Ecstasy, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the nymphs of ancient Greece. And in mainstream Greek mythology, meaning the stories that I think most people know about the ancients, I think the nymphs often take a back seat to the Olympian gods. They're seen as these beautiful maidens, usually seen accompanying the gods or playing sort of minor roles in the famous myths. But for those of us who are seeking a deeper connection with nature and with the Mediterranean landscape specifically, I think the nymphs are actually, in fact, the most important beings of ancient Greek myth and plant lore. So what are they really? I think simply stated, they are nature spirits. They're responsible for growing, nurturing, and guarding the natural habitats, plants, and animals within their realm. They're often associated with a specific mountain or a forest, a meadow or marsh, a freshwater source, the sea, or any other natural region that occurs in the landscape. And they're also often tied with very specific trees, plants, or even insects. So there are unique names for each of the different types of nymphs. For example, a naiad is a freshwater nymph. A nereid is a spirit of the sea. An oread is a conifer nymph. And the melisai, as you'll probably remember from an earlier podcast episode, are bee nymphs. And so there are dozens of names for all the different types of nymph, but despite their many names, all of them do seem to share a few characteristics, and the most important one being that they are local entities. Their essence and their function is intimately tied to the very specific place that they inhabit. So in the ancient lore, they're not usually found in cities. They're not worshipped in temples. Instead, they're entities of the wild places, of the mountains and the hills, where hunting or herding or beekeeping took place. And their shrines are often found in caves or by freshwater sources, often where shepherds might take their flock to drink or rest, or where the bees might build their hives. And so for this reason, the nymphs, when linked to stories of the Olympian deities, They're most often associated with pastoral or rural gods like Pan or Dionysos or Hermes. But the nymphs are not immortal. So they die when their tree or their plant dies. They become ill if their waters are contaminated. And so their health, their vitality is completely dependent on the health and the vitality of the land. According to Homer, the nymphs were daughters of Zeus, But in other stories, they are children of Achelus, 
who is a river located in western Greece. And Achilus was considered the eldest son of Okeanos, who was the great earth-encircling river. And Achilus is often depicted as a bull with a horned man's head. And bulls were, you know, a symbol of fertility and power. So this idea of a great river rushing forward and nourishing the land. But it's very likely that the nymphs were not actually lesser children of great gods, but were actually local deities themselves before the arrival of the gods and goddesses of Olympus. So in some places, it seems that the worship of Artemis may even have replaced the honoring of local nymphs, much like the worship of Christian saints replaced the local nature spirits on the Celtic islands of Ireland and Great Britain. And so the celebration of the Greek nymphs is quite possibly one of the oldest ways that we have of connecting with the wild landscapes of the ancient Mediterranean. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're walking on the side of a mountain in Greece. It's summertime and the spring wildflowers have died back to create a yellow, dry, and crispy blanket on the hillside. The path you're walking is dry and dusty, the sun is hot on your back, and you can smell the sun-warmed herbs along the path releasing their scent into the air. You come to a curve in the path where the trees suddenly thicken, and you climb down a small slope to a stream lined with plain trees, small oaks, and black poplar. And immediately the temperature drops and you breathe easier. The air is shaded and moistened by the green canopy. And following the stream a ways, you find an entrance to a small cave and you step inside lowering yourself to sit just inside its entrance. And here you drink from a small spring that drips from the rock. You listen to the trickling of the water. You smell the damp soil and the lush herbs. You hear the gentle humming of bees. And you are lulled into a peaceful state that is both grounding and expansive a divine trance that heightens your senses and opens your heart to inspiration, to creativity, to a deeper connection with both your body and with the nature that surrounds you. This is one of the most sacred places to encounter the nymphs near freshwater springs or inside caves, where the area is lush, green, and shaded, where the bees buzz and the waters flow. And so the Greek name for a nymph of a freshwater spring is naiad, and the word itself has its roots in the term nao, meaning to flow. And for the ancients, water is a sacred element, a source of inspiration, of healing, and of prophecy. And even those muses, the great muses, were most likely naiads, nymphs of the flow of creativity and divine revelation. Nymphalepsy is a term used to describe this state of heightened awareness 
and the clear, inspired speech that often comes from being in close proximity to the nymphs. The ancient Greeks didn't fear these altered states of consciousness. Instead, they saw trance states and nature-induced rapture as a form of divine madness, a direct connection with the gods and the forces of nature. And I think it's interesting to note that in modern Greek Christian folklore, there are similar stories of the nymphs imparting a kind of madness upon those they encounter, but with a little bit of a twist. So the nymphs, who were once sacred and honored spirits of the wild, have now been transformed into local demons who lure women away from their families, snatch away children, or make solitary men stricken with madness. Much like the old Celtic fairies, they're not to be trusted and are a source of fear. And I wonder about this how nature has been transformed in the Greek collective unconscious from a place of wild inspiration and divine connection to a source of fear, danger, and pathologized madness. So instead, I turn my attention back to the ancients who revered the earth, who trusted a connection with nature and the inspiration and clarity that comes from direct connection to the plants, waters, and mountains. And so I am reminded of the Melissae, the oracular bee nymphs who taught Apollo the art of divination, as well as Daphne, the bay laurel nymph of Mount Parnassos, who was very likely the first Pythia at Delphi before Apollo's arrival. And in both cases, the bees and the bay laurel are called upon as a means for communicating prophecy, wisdom, and truth. And so the nymphs, particularly the naiads, the melissae, and the bay laurel, can be visited, honored, and connected with whenever you need clarity of thought, eloquence, creative inspiration, or prophetic earth wisdom. If you're interested in hearing more techniques for connecting with those nymphs, be sure to listen to the podcast episode, Daphne and Apollo, as well as the melissae. But of course, there are countless other types of nymphs with whom you can cultivate a connection. The Nereids, who protect and dwell in the sea, waves, the current, sea foam, sea rocks, and sand. They're often acting as a guardian to fisher folk and sailors, seafarers, and sea travelers. There's also the Okeanides, who were similar to the naiads in that they protect and dwell in rain clouds, underground rivers, freshwater springs, streams, rivers, waterfalls, lakes, and marshes. There's the dryads, who protect and dwell in trees, woodlands, and groves. And although the term dryad has come to mean any tree nymph, it's also specifically used for nymphs of the oak tree, while other names are associated with other types of trees, such as Oread for coniferous trees, Vaphne for the bay laurel, Agiros for the black poplar, Ptelea for elm, Siki for fig, and many, many more. And of course, there are the Menads, who may have been nymphs, or they may have been mortal followers of the Onisos, but we'll be talking more about them in our next podcast episode about the sacred ivy vine. 
And so until next time, I want to invite you to wander through the mythic Greek landscape, if not in person, then in your mind's eye. Connect with the nymphs, the local plants, the flowing waters, the very essence of the land. Sit with the trees and listen to the dryads speak. Bathe in the sea and feel the flow of the nereids around you. Sit by a stream and let the naiads inspire you. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll share it with your friends. If you're interested in becoming a regular patron or to make a one-time donation to support the show, feel free to visit templewild.com. And while you're there, be sure to join my free monthly newsletter, The Parchments, where you're the first to know about new episodes, as well as special announcements and offerings. And as always, if you'd like to download a transcript of this episode or send me a personal message, I'd love to hear from you over at atemplewild.com. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time.